Hello, I'm Tony Collins and this is the Rugby Reloaded podcast. As the Rugby Union World Cup kicks off in France, I thought I would go back in time for this episode to 1931 and look at the now almost forgotten story of how France was expelled from the Five Nations tournament. In 2023, over 80 years after the expulsion, it seems incredible to think that the British and Irish Rugby Union simply broke off relations with the French Federation of Rugby, the FFR, as well as banning all contact between British and French club teams. It was the biggest crisis Rugby Union had faced since the Great Split of 1895. Although France had been part of the Five Nations tournament since 1910, relations with the British teams had never been smooth. The belief that the French were effeminate, emotional and untrustworthy ran deep in British culture and rugby was an important sporting expression of those beliefs. In 1863, Blackheath's FM Campbell declared that banning hacking which was deliberately kicking at opponent's shins, would do away with all the courage and pluck of the game and I will bring over a lot of Frenchmen who would beat you with a week's practice. Nine years later, a speaker at the founding meeting of Wakefield Trinity said one Englishman was equal to five Frenchmen. Even when cross-channel matches between British and French rugby clubs became common in the 1890s, comments like these from journalist Bertram Robinson in 1896 were commonplace. The play of the French team was, I am forced to admit, rather of a humorous than of a skilful character. The wild rejoicings, the black despair, the suspicions of perfidy aroused by the conduct of the referee, all were sufficiently ludicrous. Nonetheless, the standard of French rugby was improving rapidly, and France were the only team to score two tries against the historic 1905 all-black tourists. Over the next four years, all the British rugby unions arranged internationals with them and in 1910 France was officially accepted into what was then known as the Home Nations Championship. By the late 1920s, they were seen as potential Five Nations champions, but the British believed that the French player's emotional nature was holding back the team. They cannot conquer their temperament, proclaimed a headline in the British Sports Weekly Athletic News after France's 1928 defeat by Ireland. International referee J.B. Minahan said the excitable nature of the French meant that they would probably never be successful. The usual explanation for France's expulsion from the Five Nations is the violence which took place during the April 1930 match against Wales in front of a record 50,000 crowd in Paris. It was the most important match in French rugby history. A win would deliver to them the Five Nations Championship for the first time ever and a draw would mean France shared the title with England. Sadly for the French... Wales won 11-0. As might be expected from a match with so much at stake, it was a hard physical affair. During the second half, the English referee halted the match to tell the players to stop their roughness and violence. In fact, this was not so unusual, and often happened in international rugby where honours were at stake. It wasn't too different from the 1925 England match against the All Blacks, which was stopped three times for violent play, and, unlike in Paris, the referee actually sent off one player at Twickenham. Nevertheless, violence on the pitch and a crowd invasion at the end of the match became the excuse for the British rugby unions to expel France. On the 2nd of March 1931, a joint statement was issued which said, Owing to the unsatisfactory condition of rugby football as managed and played in France, neither our unions nor the clubs or unions under its jurisdiction will be able to arrange or fulfil fixtures with France or French clubs, at home or away, until we are satisfied that the control and conduct of the game has been placed on a satisfactory basis in all essentials. In reality, the 1930 Wales match was a convenient pretext for the break with France. With its large crowds, undisguised commercialism and covert player payments, 
French rugby sent uncomfortable reminders to British rugby's leaders of rugby in the north of England before the Northern Union split in 1895. Indeed, many in the FFR shared these concerns. They too were worried by the rowdy spectators, ferociously competitive matches and players who demanded payment for playing rugby. These were also claimed to be major factors in two high-profile deaths. In 1927, Kian hooker Gaston Riviere died in a collapsed scrum, and in a 1930 championship semi-final, 18-year-old Ajon winger Michel Prady was mortally injured in a tackle. These deaths and other incidents led to the late 1920s being dubbed the era of Rugby de Moet, or Rugby of Death, by Paul Vavinel, a leading rugby administrator and writer who later advised the Vichy government to ban rugby league. Further problems for French Rugby Union broke out in 1930, when its 12 leading clubs announced that they were resigning from the FFR and setting up a French amateur rugby union, pledged to reassert amateur values. For the British, Les Deux, as the 12 were nicknamed, appeared to be a step in the right direction. However, they were soon disabused of this by the FFR secretary, Scottish expatriate Cyril Rutherford. He told them that the Doos were the worst offenders in the matter of professionalism and that their major grievance against the FFR was actually the introduction in 1929 of revenue sharing between clubs, which made them fear that they would be forced to give up some of their income. The British decided that neither side of the dispute could be trusted to uphold the amateur principles of the game. It was the British Union's complete lack of confidence in any faction in French rugby which caused them to break off their relationship with France in 1931. The years of British dissatisfaction with the French game were brought to a head by the fracturing of the FFR's authority. As Cyril Rutherford told the Times, the split between the Doos and the Federation and the publicity with which it had been accompanied were the main reasons for the decision of the British unions. The British had simply washed their hands of French rugby and walked away. But, as is often the case in rugby, the split with the French immediately brought the law of unintended consequences into play, because it opened the door to the establishment of rugby league in France. Will French clubs join the rugby league? was the headline in the Athletic News report about the Doos breakaway. In fact, the Doos rejoined the FFR in May 1932, but just 18 months later, in January 1934, French international forward Jean Gallier established rugby league in France. The new organisation provided the solutions to the problems that the FFR was unable to solve. It offered open payments to players and a 13-a-side game which reduced the dangerous heavy scrummaging and mauling of the Union Code, as well as regular international matches with England and Wales. By 1939, French Rugby League had 225 affiliated clubs, compared with the FFR's decline in 471, and its national team had defeated England and Wales and become European champions. Hemorrhaging clubs and condemned to a diet of international matches against second-tier nations such as Germany, Romania and Italy, French Rugby Union made numerous attempts to open negotiations with the British unions. The RFU met with the FFR and the Doos in 1934, but showed little inclination to heal the breach. One RFU official even argued that it should confine its activities to the English-speaking peoples. This insularity was an example of the parochial nature of British sport as a whole. In 1928, the Football Association, along with the other British soccer governing bodies, had withdrawn from FIFA for a second time. The 1930s were also a time of worsening diplomatic relations between Britain and France. This meant that the British unions were under no government pressure to heal the breach with the French. After Hitler came to power in 1933, the French government sought to build up its military strength against German militarism. 
In contrast, Britain followed its traditional diplomatic strategy of promoting a balance of power between the European nations. These divergent strategies were highlighted in 1935. In May of that year, France and the Soviet Union signed a mutual defence pact. Six weeks later, on the anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo, Britain signed a naval agreement with Nazi Germany. In Paris that year, cinema-goers hissed the Prince of Wales when he appeared in newsreels and police were called to protect the British Embassy from angry demonstrators. But by the late 1930s, the looming threat of war in Europe had seen alliances shift again and by the end of the decade the British and French governments saw their interests as broadly aligned in opposition to Hitler. In early 1939, the FFR wrote to the British rugby unions asking to heal the split. The success of French rugby league and the atrophy of France's international rugby links, which were now largely confined to European fascist and far-right regimes, meant that the FFR's leaders were keen to reach a settlement. Now, the British welcomed the FFR's approach, but laid down five conditions for healing the split. The French had to implement strict amateurism, strongly punish foul play, and abolish the French Championship, about which they noted that the real foundation of the game as played in our British countries is the friendly match between clubs. When the letter arrived in Paris, things moved quickly. The FFR's annual congress voted to abolish the championship, and two weeks later, the French received a short letter from the British, telling them that the representatives of the four home nations have decided to recommend to each home union that they should resume relations with the French Rugby Federation. France was invited into the upcoming 1944 Nations Tournament and cross-channel club games were now allowed to take place. Rugby's Entente Cordiale had been re-established. Or had it. We'll look at the drama which followed in the next episode. But in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Rugby Reloaded podcast. As you may know, my Twitter handle is at CollinsTony and my website is www.rugbyreloaded.com where you can find the complete archive of episodes about the history of rugby and the other football codes, together with show notes for this episode. Until next time, thanks for listening.